Thank you, Brother Rick and Nancy. Be turning to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning verse 1. While you're turning, let me say thank you again for the wonderful surprise birthday lunch last week. I really appreciate that. You know, I'm thankful for a lot of things, but I'm especially thankful that you're nice people. <laughs> 200 people knew about this for weeks, and I never caught word of it. Not only did you know about it, and I not caught word of it, you pulled it off. All this went on, and so I'm glad, as sneaky as you are, I'm glad you're nice. If you wanted to get away with anything, you could have got away with it. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate, of course, the, the, the cards and, and all the love that you shower on, on me and share. And I appreciate that. And I want to say this, too. I appreciate the way you've responded when there's a project or a need or an opportunity. And then we have two of them. Let me just remind you of this again. You've responded so well to this Romanian building fund uh, that uh, not only have, have we agreeable to, of course, put some money in out of our budget, but many of you have already responded out of your own personal fund. See if we can match $5,000 and be able to send to these people over in Romania who are needing to get into another building. We know how that is. When you need more room, you need a better place. And they are working hard and uh, depending on us as one of the partnering churches. So if you can give to that. Also, you've also responded to the uh, need for things for the homeless shelter. Two totally different mission projects. One right here at home, one a long way off, and you've responded to that. And if you can continue to bring things like uh, uh, paper goods, sheets, somebody brought a pillow already, uh, washing detergent, all those things they need up there to operate this homeless shelter. And if you can help out with that, with this, bring them by at any time. If you want to come back on your way from the grocery store and nobody's here, just drop them in front of those glass doors and I'll get them and, and put them where they need to go. If you bring them to church, we'll just stick them in my office. Uh, also, whether your baby bottles are filled or not, bring them in next week because we're collecting them up and going to carry them up there. And it's uh, already quite a collection change. And appreciate, of course, the kind of church that you are. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further. Their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, 
faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of all of them the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will go worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, truly furnished for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing at his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word as it speaks about your word. We need to hear these things. And Father, we all come with different needs. And I ask that your Holy Spirit and your word would do that which I could never do. That is to reach into the deepest parts of our hearts, to gain our attention, show us what needs to be done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Paul had some very important instructions for Timothy. In this passage of scripture, the words, but you, are mentioned three times. In other words, he talks about several different things, but the literal translation is this, but as for you. You see, it's a lot easier sometimes to look around us, maybe see what needs to be done or the other problems in our country. Three different times, the apostle Paul said, but as for you. These were important instructions. In order to make sure that these instructions got through loud and clear, Paul got Timothy's attention with four words. These four words get a lot of people's attention. People who aren't even interested in the Bible. You start talking about these four words, many people perk right up. And the words are this. In the last days, in the last days, people sometimes get bored or uninterested in scripture. But when you start talking about the last days, or you make mention of the book of Revelation, people perk up. A lot of times they want to hear about what's coming up in the last days. Some of them are even self-proclaimed experts. I've had people lecture me that hadn't been in church in 20 years about what the Bible says about the book of the Revelations. And then they'll tell me this. You know what, Brother Eric, would be a good idea? I'd like it if maybe we could get some people together and talk about the Bible. I said, I think that's a good idea. It happens every Sunday. It's called church. <laughs> oh. 
When you start talking about the last days, people perk up. They won't hear about the last days. We're fascinated with the last days. But Paul was not speaking of the distant future. When he said in the last days, he was talking about a future in which Timothy was already involved. You see, the last days refer to these last days. And the writer of the book of Hebrews said it that way. These last days. The last days, a term that was applied to the period of time from the resurrection and ascension of Christ when he gave the church its marching orders until the second coming of Christ. When he was talking about the last days, he wasn't talking to Timothy about something that was going to happen way off. This was already happening. And that's why he had some very present tense instructions for Timothy. The last days. First of all, he told him what he would face. In the last days, perilous times will come. Now, we think about this. We say, oh, yeah, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about the tribulation, those seven years. No, he's talking about something that's going to happen a lot earlier than that. He's talking about something happening now. Perilous times. Now, the literal translation of, of perilous would be dangerous times. It's quite interesting. A Roman writer use this same Greek word of perilous to describe an ugly wound in one of his writings. So what he was telling Timothy is, Timothy, you watch it. It's going to get ugly. It will get ugly. Times will come. And then he outlines just how ugly it would be. It says, for men will be lovers of themselves. It's talking about people in general. Lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. This starts it all. This like pops the cork out of the ugly bottle because when the center of gravity shifts from God to self, a hideous collection of sins can spring up. Men will be lovers of themselves. I am the center of the universe. It's all about me. And when we start loving ourselves, then we quit loving God and we quit loving others. And that opens the door for a lot of other things. Notice as he continues on, lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Now, people always say, you know what the Bible says, money's the root of all evil. No, it doesn't say that. It says this, the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. The love of money is the root of all evil. Then he goes into this. Boasters, proud, blasphemers. Boasters, proud, blasphemers. This word blasphemer means insults. They are filled with insults. Not only to God, but to other people. They're just hard to get along with. They're just unpleasant people to be around. They're people who always have something negative. Insults. And it continues on. It says, disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents. That made the top ten. It's number five. Ten commandments. It is important to honor your father and mother. It's something that may not be celebrated as much in today's culture, especially when you look at popular entertainment. The parents are a lot of times seen as the clowns. In the sitcoms, let me tell you, God said it's important. 
and the ugliness that comes in the world today begins many times with disobedient to parents. Unthankful, unholy, unloving. This is important. I believe the King James Version says without natural affection. Now we read this and we all of a sudden think about the gender benders and the ambiguous restrooms. People don't know which restroom to go with and the alternative lifestyle. Actually, it's talking about something far worse than that. You say, well, I don't know how it could get worse than that. Oh, it gets a lot worse and it gets a lot uglier. It says, without natural affection, the loss of basic human family love. And here's where it gets uglier. Anytime someone gets wrapped up with substance abuse to the point where they steal from their own parents, they steal from their own grandparents, they've been known to beat up their grandparents for more money for meth, you've lost natural affection. And so we realize it's ugly out there. And the loss of natural affection doesn't just point to one particular lifestyle. It's even uglier than that when people quit loving each other, especially their families. And you see, substance abuse will lead to this. Let me tell you this. It never, I'm going to point that word out. Never turns out well when someone tries drugs. And anytime someone gets involved in drugs, it's not like the odds are against it turning out well. It never, ever, ever turns out well. Substance abuse causes domestic violence. Substance abuse causes theft from loved ones. In fact... As we look at this passage of scripture, it's even pointed out again. It says, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure. That word haughty, I think the, another English translation says heady. You know what that means? Literally, the translation in the Greek, wrapped in a fog. Wrapped in a fog. Now, now what does that describe? What does that describe? Literally. It describes substance abuse. Your head is wrapped in a fog. But it goes a little bit further here. Traitors, headstrong, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, whether the lovers of God. You say, bingo, man, that's that San Francisco crowd. Lovers of pleasure. Oh, we're not just talking about that bad pleasure. We all know what those are, and those aren't on our list. Lovers of pleasure, any pleasure that we love more than God. Let us read it in a different way. Lovers of recreation more than lovers of God. Now, whatever you do for recreation, fill in the slot. Lovers of entertainment more than lovers of God. Lovers of sports more than lovers of God. We have to ask ourselves the question, do we love some of these things more than we love God? Well, Jesus said it this way, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do I spend more money on my entertainment, my recreation, my vacations, my special toys than I do on God's things? Bingo. You see, sometimes it hits home. And we might say, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's nothing wrong with a vacation preacher. No, there's not. 
But if I'm going to look at God with a straight face and say, I can't afford to give my treasure to your work, and I've given my treasure to pleasure, then this applies. Now, in God's eyes, this is a perilous thing. It is an ugly thing. And you see, now we really realize, man, this is hitting home. I'm not sure if I like going in this last days thing. I thought we were going to talk about politics and antichrist and all. Now you're talking about my life. You're getting all up in my business. Bingo. Because it says, this hits us where we live. You see, the main arena of all this is pointed out in verse 6. For of this sort are those who creep into households. Now we think about all these things. I'm going to say probably think about that modern culture somewhere over New York or Chicago or over there on the left coast. We think about all these people in Congress and all these politicians that are turning away from God. It says they will lead into homes. They'll creep into homes. It didn't say that all of these things will creep into the Senate. It didn't say that all these things would creep into the House of Representatives or all these things would creep into the Supreme Court or the White House. It says they will creep into homes, our homes. And that's where it starts. When our homes start looking like this, we love other things besides God. Our love for each other isn't what it should be. Our kindness to each other isn't what it should be. All these things start. Now, since it hits so hard to home, understand many will resist these kind of words. If you look down in verse 8, Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt mind, disapproved concerning their faith, they will progress no further. Their folly will be manifest to all, as was theirs also. Many will resist the truth. All right, we start talking about maybe our own lives. Did you feel a little bit prickly? Well, sometimes we resist the truth. Now, wait a minute. He's talking about my life, my recreation, my checkbook. My... Sometimes we resist. And he brings up two names that's quite interesting because you try to look these up. You won't find them as Janice and Jambres. Who are these guys? Well, you have to refer back to Paul was very familiar with these two names. These two names occurred in Jewish literature as the magicians back in Exodus chapter 7 verse 11, chapter 9 verse 11, who withstood Moses when Moses, of course, displayed the plagues and they stepped up and said, we could do that too. And because of that, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. But what did they do? They withstood Moses. They resisted the spokesman for the truth. Why? Because those things were hard to hear. They did not want to hear of the power of the Almighty God. So all of these were ugly. And Paul said, watch it, Timothy. Ugly times would come. Then there's a word in verse 10. Kind of like Brother Jeremy. I like the little grammar here in verse 10. But, that means a direct contrast is coming. He outlines ugliness in its ugliest form. And then he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, 
faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. And what he says this, it doesn't have to be that way. He outlines all this ugliness, which sometimes as we start looking at it, is common, isn't it? It's common in our cultures and too common in our lives. And so we might have to say, well, that's just the way it has to be, preacher. He says, but there's a different way. There's another way. It doesn't have to be ugly in our homes. It doesn't have to be ugly in our communities and in our country. He says, but you have carefully followed. Now, this word but means really, but as for you. But you have carefully followed. Now, the word carefully followed, quite interestingly, is the same verb that Luke uses in the introduction of his chapter uh, uh, first chapter of his book when he talks about he carefully followed or investigated the life of Christ. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, not only have you just casually observed my life, you are very well acquainted with these things. And here's a direct contrast to what I've just outlined. As for you, you have carefully followed my teaching. Now, you start reading the teaching of the Apostle Paul, it is in contrast to everything we just read about popular culture. In any generation, that's popular culture. In every generation, that's popular culture. And he says, you followed my teaching. And then he said this, you followed my manner of life. You see, Paul lived what he taught. He walked the walk. And let me, let me put an asterisk there. But that always draws our attention there, is it's more noticeable than we think when we say one thing and live another way. People know what we say. They know what we stand for. They know what we proclaim. They know the name that we wear. And they also see how we live, how we treat others, how we speak. They know all of that. And they say, I say, well, it's nobody else's business. You know, it's quite interesting that in this culture today, we put everything about our lives on Facebook and then complain because we don't have any privacy. People are judging me. Hey, the way we live in public, people don't have to dig into our business. They see it, and it's more noticeable than we think. My manner of life. And then he says this, you know my purpose. You know my purpose. You see, my manner of life will reveal my purpose in life. And my purpose in life is what am I living for? What are we living for? Well, the Apostle Paul's purpose is found very clearly in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul outlines it very clearly. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He has outlined and mentioned all that he had going for him. And he sums it all up in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, 
If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already attained, nor am already perfect. But I press on that I may lay hold of that which for Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That was his purpose. The one thing I do, I press, I point that way, and I drive that way. And he said, you can see my purpose because you've seen my manner of life. What are we living for? What really satisfies us? Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verse 25. It is enough. It's enough that the disciple be his teacher and the servant be it his master. It is enough. What's enough for my life? Well, I start thinking about all these other things that I may want to attain, that I may want to get, I may want to realize, all these comforts and all these possessions. And Jesus said, it's enough that we be like Jesus. That's the purpose. That's, isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? That I may know him and be conformed to his image. And he goes a little bit further than that. My purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. Wow. He said, you look at it and you'll see it. How's this possible? How's this possible? As we look at the ugliness in this world and look at the contrast, how, how do you attain this? How do you live a life like this in a generation that's saturated with all this ugliness? Well, he zeroes in on it in verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. The word thoroughly furnished means outfitted. You're equipped for anything you need to be and do for the Lord Jesus Christ. We find it in God's word. You see, we notice in this passage, and he goes all this to point out the main point, the irreplaceable value of Scripture. It is indeed valuable because it is from God. He says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This word inspiration is the word from which we get breathed. Quite literally, the Greek language says, all scripture is God breathed. In other words, this is the breath of God. God breathed his word and that word was written down. Now, Peter says it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God, with pen in hand, moved and wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
You see, this is indeed the word of God. Because of this, it, te- it is profitable. The word of God is the inspired word of God, and it is profitable. And of course, he mentions some things it's profitable for. Doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. For reproof. The word reproof here means to correct or to convict. You look at all these ugly sins that were mentioned, you will not find any reproof of these sins in the popular culture. They are celebrated. They're not just endured. They're not accepted. They are celebrated in popular culture. But oh, in God's word, you will find conviction for these sins. And that's why we start going through here and we start getting a little bit uncomfortable. That was, that's my favorite sin you're talking about. And of course, as we look at the Apostle Paul's life, he spoke about his faith. Do you know the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 7? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. So we could say ultimately faith comes by the word of God. And as we are exposed to the word of God, our faith will increase. Paul talks about his patience. And in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 4, he says, The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of Scripture. Not patience in general. The article's there. We through the patience and comfort of Scripture. The patience of Scripture. Your patience wearing a little bit thin? Well, maybe more exposure to God's Word could help that out. And I think a lot of us will say we could all use more patience, but we want to pray about patience because we say, well, tribulation works patience. Don't pray for patience for me. Well, tribulation is not the only way we can get patience. The Bible specifically says the patience of Scriptures. And when my patience is wearing thin, very well as a symptom, I don't have enough of this in my life. And patience and faith gives us the strength to carry on and endure. So all these things that Paul said, look at these things in my life, can be traced back to this, the irreplaceable value of Scripture. Back in 2 Peter, the passage of Scripture that we read concerning the inspiration of God's Word, the verse before that says, we have a more sure word of prophecy as a light that shines in a dark place until the day star rise in your hearts. It's quite interesting to let us know that, that Scripture is more relevant to our life than sometimes the average person thinks, even that's not interested in Scripture. We have a more sure word of prophecy as a light that shines in a dark place. Now, I can't think of anything even more dark than what we just read about this, this, this perilous times. But a lot of times... It doesn't even have to deal with the darkness of sin. That word dark, quite literally, is translated squalid. And it has to do with a a dark, squalid, creepy swamp. And maybe a, a better English translation, according to some Greek scholars, is this. A light that shines in a gloomy place. See, a lot of times we find ourselves in gloomy places. Sometimes it's our own doing. 
We've worked ourselves into a dark place because of our own behavior in life. And then sometimes just the events of life put us in gloomy places. A hospital waiting room, a funeral home, a cemetery. Situations come up. How'd this happen in my life? It's a gloomy place. And then here comes God's word, a light in the gloomy place. I don't, it doesn't matter what walk of life we're from or where we are in our spiritual progress. We're all going to both be in some gloomy places. We're all going to have to walk through that. And that's something. The irreplaceable value of God's word to be a light in a gloomy place. But he said to Timothy, but as for you, in verse 2 of chapter 4, you preach the word. That is why we have the major job that we have as the church and the major job description that your pastors have is first and foremost to preach the word. That comes first. Preach the word. It is by inspiration of God and is profitable. I want to look at that word profitable as we begin to close here. Profitable. Everybody likes the word profitable. Next Sunday will end up the, the, uh, the, the month of March, which will end up the first quarter. All of our economic analysts will be looking at the th first quarter of this year. They want to see how the profits have been in the stock market. You'll hear it all over the news. First quarter this and first quarter that. Everybody likes profit. The word profit means to be useful. But I like that word profit because that same word is used by Jesus Christ and it's recorded in all uh, three of the first three Gospels. And he said it this way, and I'm just going to quote from Luke chapter 9 verse 25. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? That same word profit is also the same Greek word from which he said it is profitable. You see, God's word is profitable because notice in verse 15 that from childhood you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. You see, God's word is profitable because God's word first and foremost gives us the good news of salvation. And everything else in life is temporary. Paul, Peter said it this way, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. Perilous times will come. A lot of ugliness in this world. The most beautiful thing that we can counter the ugliness of this world with is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is in God's word. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant for all ears to hear, including yours. As we prepare for an invitation to him, don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord, but if you've never ever accepted Christ, had a deliberate discussion with God about your sin, and accepted the salvation that God so freely gives, this message is all about you. Perhaps you're here and you say, man, I have to agree, I am so weary of the clatter and the clamor of this generation. 
I am so tired of it all. It's ugly times. Where do we find refuge? But as for you, you look into God's word. It is profitable. And I don't know what God may have uh, touched our heart with. If there's a change or a prayer or uh, an adjustment we need to make, this is the time and the place to do it. You came to church and made this effort to be here. Don't waste the effort. Finish the business God's brought us here to do as we stand and sing. Number 109. <clears throat>